Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff at Lofstofan are grateful that you are joining us for today's study in God's Word. As a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The following was recorded on Sunday, January 7, 2024. Today's message titled, Christianity 101, Prayer, When, Why, and How, Part 1. So my name is Gunnar. If you haven't met me yet, I'm, well, I think I met all of you coming in, so well, I'm glad that you're here. Um, today we're going to go for a one-off sermon. Uh, we typically work our way through books of the Bible. Uh, but I told you as we started Hebrews that we would take breaks every now and then to, to do Christianity 101 sermons, to talk about the basics of the faith. And I really hope and, and pray that today I can communicate clearly and that you'd have ears to hear because we're talking about one of the greatest privileges of the Christian life that's very often not seen as the great privilege that it is. Um, and this is continuing on and building on kind of uh, the idea of basics of the faith, but also what we spoke about last week, it was the last Sunday of the year. And we talked about uh, getting a godly vision for your life. Because as, uh, as Daniel Escobar was up here uh, opening the service, he talked about how many of us, we tend to lay down plans about what we want to do this coming year. And so often it, it, is, it is about good things that are not ultimately the best things in life, right? It's good to, to shave a few kilos or if you're weird American pounds off uh, of your body and feel more lean and healthy. Um, but it's, it's better to have eternal life, right? <laughs> the living well uh, springing up inside of you. So, uh, and we talked about really being busy in the things that really, really matter because busyness in and of itself is not a measurement of success. I know we in the West tend to almost behave that way. Like, like, uh, like, man, I'm busy. And therefore people around you are like, oh, you must be doing important things. But busyness alone is not a measure of success. You can be incredibly busy doing the wrong things. And actually that's probably the most frightening thing about life. God and his grace sometimes stops us in our track when we're on our way to success in things that don't matter to get us to, re, to, to redirect our, ourselves to things that do matter. Romans 1 is kind of a terrifying look at sort of God saying, just giving us over to the empty things that we tend to worship and value above God. And so busyness is not alone a measure of success. You can be incredibly busy going the wrong direction. Um, and we want to say no to all the things that we're not called to do and be busy for the things that we are called to do. Uh, and I don't know about you. Uh, you probably recognize this feeling if you're a parent in the room. I get frustrated some, sometimes because I wish I could just make choices for people, right? Anybody, anybody connect with that? Like, I just wish I could just tell my kids what to do. And they'd be like, of course, my dad is wise beyond his years. He loves me and I'm going to do the things that he called me to do. Or and sometimes it's not just for my kids, but like also for like non-Christians who, who refuse to give their life to Jesus. I'm like, 
I wish I could just make this one decision for you to come into Christ, to experience the hope, the joy, the peace that is found only in Jesus and the beauty found only in Jesus. But it's the same for Christians when it comes to like Bible reading, prayer. I know that's like me as a pastor, that's what I'm supposed to be talking about all the time. Like, and, and if I meet with people and I see things are going horribly in their life, one of the first things I ask is how, how's your time with God going? How's your time with prayer going? How's your time in the word going? Because it's not just because I'm a pastor and, and they train us to do this in some pastor school, because I've experienced this in my own life. Sometimes when things are going incredibly wrong in my life, it's God's grace to say, no, 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 no. I want you to have something more important. I want you to have me. Not success in all these things that, yeah, they might be good to a lot of people, but they're of no eternal significance. So sometimes I'm frustrated because I wish I, I just take Christians and be like, this is the allocated time you're going to spend with God in his word and in prayer. And it's going to, because, and again, it's not just because I just want to control everyone. It's because I've experienced the overwhelming joy coming out of spending time with God. But when, when you replace your worship of his creation with actually worshiping the creator, there's life there that you can get nowhere else. And so all I can do today, when we talk about subjects like prayer, I can point you to where the water is, but I cannot force you to drink it. I cannot make the decision for you. But this week I've been praying that you would be thirsty for something more, right? that you would be tired, that you would realize that when you may be entertained, that does not mean that your soul is satisfied, right? If you're trying to get to the end of TikTok or the reels on Instagram or see if Facebook ever has an end, whatever you're doing, it's like, that is not gonna satisfy your soul. And I'm, I've been praying that you actually come here today realizing like, I don't need like more entertainment. I need more of this living water inside of me. And this water is found in prayer. And I, I, I pray today that we might have sort of panting souls wanting this something more. Uh, because the thing is, for a lot of us, we would make a lot of sacrifices to be with certain people that are, are of earthly stature, right? Um, be they celebrities, um, like talking with Karen, Harris is learning, uh, what, what are you, computer science, right? I'm, I'm sure there's like uh, Wozniak, the founder of Apple, or like some, some people you would just want to spend time with. And many of you might think of uh, maybe politicians that you look up to that have done immense things in, in your opinion. Uh, again, I, I don't, I don't probably share that you, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but maybe they're athletes that you're just like, man, I would, I would sacrifice so much to, to be with this specific athlete that's gone to this specific thing that's kicked the ball this many times. And again, I, don't, I can't relate to that at all. Like I'm not <laughs> into athletes at all. Maybe CEOs that you look up to and like, man, that guy is crazy. He did this amazing thing. And you, wanna, you would sacrifice so much, so much time, so much effort to be with that CEO. But the reason why prayer, I think, is so often neglected is because our, our view of God is skewed. The greatness of our God, his holiness, his abilities, his sovereignty is not 
always obvious to us, right? And we look at that athlete or we look at that CEO or you look at that, what did I say, politician? Like, and you might see like he's here in flesh and blood and therefore like he's done these great things. That's why I want to spend time with that. But ultimately in prayer, it is our opportunity to spend time, not with just some other person that's done great things here on earth, but their creator. Very, the very one who gave them a tongue to speak, air to breathe, lungs, I'm sorry, lungs to breathe, brain to think, all these things, hands to work, that's the one that we have access to. And so often we neglect prayer because we don't see the glory of God. And there can be so many things, so many reasons for this, right? There can be, uh, it, it could just be that we live in a broken world. Um, first Corinthians chapter 13, it, it talks about, um, yeah, so, sorry. I'm like way ahead of myself. So we're talking, we're going to be dwelling on Matthew six. <laughs> we're talking about prayer, when, why, and how, but in first Corinthians chapter 13, you might know this. If you've been to a wedding, this is like the cliche wedding passage. Uh, and then at the very end, he just goes off the rails, stop talking about love. And like here, he's like, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So it's a comfort for those of you who might be coming here this week and you've suffered. Maybe you're looking over this past year and you don't see a series of successes, but rather you see a series of just heartache. Like if you have questions for God, like this verse is a promise that one day when you see him face to face, all those questions will be answered. You will know him fully. But notice he says, now we see through a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So it might just be that we neglect prayer and we don't see God as he should be seen because we live in a fallen world. <laughs> and I remember this quote by Martin Luther, uh, who, who started, who's the namesake for the Lutheran church and the Reformation and all that. Like there was a annoyed person in his church who said, Luther, you always talk about the same thing. You always talk about the gospel. <laughs> He's like, what, this, you've done this for 40 weeks in a row. Why would you need to do it for a 41st week? And he said something like, and this is my paraphrase. I don't know, remember exactly how this goes, but he said, because we are prone to forget. <laughs> Every time we gather, we are reminding ourselves of who God is. We are training our eyes to see him more clearly, to correct our skewed vision coming in from this week but it can also be demonic forces at play, just skewing our image of God. As we see in, in, in Matthew 13, in the parable of the sower and the soils, the evil one trying to steal away what God has given us, getting us to ignore the very thing that gives us life, purpose and hope. So today, as we dwell on prayer, let me give you this challenge, please, please, don't leave here today just knowing more about prayer. As we go into this week, go with an idea of how to deepen your prayer life, of how you're going to implement this in your life, because this is of no value to you if you just know more about prayer. And my, my ability to teach this in theory is nothing compared to what we learn about prayer when we put it into practice and we get to experience the hope of communion with God. So this subject can only be 
taught in theory to a certain extent. So as we go into this week and, and as we think about prayer today, please be asking yourself, okay, how can I go into this week deepening my walk with God, spending more time with him? Um, but I think before we jump into the Lord's prayer, um, I, I think it's good for us to extract some principles uh, there about what Jesus taught us about how we should pray. Um, but I also want to first start with when, when should we pray or how often should we pray? So let's imagine something going back to the CEO or the politician or the athlete that I mentioned be before picture the celebrity that you really look up to and admire for things that they have done. Okay. Picture them in your mind. If you have imagination, anybody got one, anybody got a celebrity? No one admires anybody. You're all just like consumed with yourselves. You're so great. No one is greater than me. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Okay. No one even like said Jesus in here. Like, <laughs> all right. So practice this at home afterwards then. Uh, picture a person, a celebrity that you look up to in your mind. Now this person has actually said that you personally have access to them anytime you want, night or day. However long you want them around, they will be there as much as you want them. And actually, they've not only said they're ready to be there for you, if you're worried about being too annoying and asking them to come with you to, to bonus, uh, they're like, I'm up for it, man. I want to be with Gunnar as much as I possibly can. Right? How much would you want to be with that celebrity that you look up to? That athlete, that politician, that CEO, whatever else. How often would you want to have them around? Would you want to take them with you to the grocery store? Or would you want to plan one-on-one -on -one meetings with them to just extract all the information and all the wisdom you could possibly get? Maybe both. Now, when it comes to God, it's not only accomplished more than any of them, who is the very creator of them, who wants to be with us. How should we spend our time with him? Right? We can say, well, I want dedicated times where I spend time laying before him, having time face to face with him. And I, want, I would want to take him into every aspect of our life. I would want to have planned sessions and I would also want to have him every day of our life. Well, when it comes to the Bible, you see both of these things happening in the Bible. Like uh, here in the scriptures, you, when, when it comes to Jesus and his time in prayer, you see that Jesus would go alone to the mountains and he would go alone in the night to deserted places during the morning and during the night to be alone with God in dedicated times, just him and God. Uh, you see this also here in, uh, in Daniel chapter six, uh, 10, that Daniel, uh, if, if you don't know the book of Daniel, they're trying to kill him for, for praying. <laughs> and he has these three specific times during the day that he has so predictably used to spend time with God so faithfully for years that people who were trying to kill him for prayer knew exactly where he would be and when he would be praying. And then he would be thrown into the lion's den. So apparently Daniel had this habit of having a specific time of the day to say, this is a time dedicated for me and God. And on the other hand, when you read the Bible, both the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see these different ideas like here in first Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. 
So there he's not necessarily talking about continually, like don't work, just always have prayer time and then neglect your relationship with your wife or your husband or your kids or anything else. No, he's saying, no, bring God into every aspect of your life, right? And you see this in the New Testament as well, kind of all over the place in Paul's writing, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Again, pray just without really stopping. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will God in Christ Jesus for you. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. You see this idea forming that, hey, there's, there's times where we should fight for time to be just me and God. And then there's time to say, okay, I, but I wanna grow in my ability to pull God into every single aspect of our life. Actually, I, I think that is a great spiritual discipline to have because it helps us remember uh, and correct the skewed image that we may have of God. And so you see these two ideas happening in the Bible uh, when it comes to prayer, you find a rhythm of prayer, intentional times to spend time with God. And I think, man, I think this is absolutely necessary in our, t- in our day and age uh, when it comes to prayer because it desperately needed. Because uh, I don't know about you, but more than ever, we have distractions. Is it, or is that just me being like super immature? Like anybody notice how distracted we are? Um, man, there are all around us distractions. Like I remember glimpses of the analog days when I was little and you would have to wait at the doctor's office and you had like 12 boring magazines to pick from. Now I have like the library of Alexandria is nothing compared to what I have on my Kindle. I have podcasts and movies to watch. I have everything at my fingertips. I'd, if only my kids knew the suffering I had to go through reading some pointless article uh, back in the day, waiting for the doctor. We have distractions all around us. We have work coming with us home via technology. We have social media to scroll. We have podcasts to listen to. Listen to. We have shows to watch. We have responsibilities to, to care for. And more than ever, we're distracted. You know, it's funny. You know, there are people that bear the title of futurists. Did you know this? There are people that just sit in their chairs thinking about what the future is going to be like. And they just bear the title of futurists. Like, hello, my name is Gunnar. What do you do? I'm a futurist. Hello. Yeah, I think about what, what it's going to be like 50 years from now. You know what they predicted life would be like right now, like 30 years ago? They thought we would be working like 15 hours a week because of technology. <laughs> Their idea was, man, they're going to be computers, you know, all this, it's going to be all automated. And I'm here laughing at these futurists because they had no idea that all this technology was actually going to lead to us working way more. It meant that work came home with us. Man, there are distractions all around us. More than ever, we need to fight for time what truly matters. And the frightening thing about all of this, as I was thinking about it this week, as I was reading a, a parenting book called Techwise Family, I was thinking about my kids and like, how do we navigate social media and iPads and all the like, all this thing. Like how, how, and there's one point where he says in there, like, 
for every problem we used to have in the past, we could look to established wisdom that had solved the problems most of, most of the times, like decades or hundreds of years before that became a problem for us. Our day and age in technology, we have no ancient wisdom to rely on. <laughs> We are the guinea pigs in this trial run right here. And we have no idea what this is going to cost. What this is going to do to our emotional health, our spiritual health, physical health. Like we have no idea. We're just running through this, hoping it's all going to be okay. And I was like reading this book and I was preparing a sermon on prayer. I'm like, God, we need prayer more now than ever before. Like we may not have any earthly human wisdom to rely on, but we have God's wisdom to rely on, but it comes through prayer. But I know this, we cannot wait to just have time for prayer. We cannot just hope that we can have some time in prayer. If we want to deepen our walk with God, if we want to deepen our uh, time in prayer, we have to fight for time to spend in prayer. And, and I think for us, we, we can look to examples found in Daniel. We can look to examples found in the life of Jesus. Uh, even when they were threatened with like death, even in the busyness of Jesus's ministry, they found time to be alone with God. So that's one idea, when to pray, set a rhythm of prayer. And the second idea of prayer is this, never stop praying. Take Jesus into your life when you feel anxious, bring your anxiety and worry to Jesus at that very moment. When you don't know what to say, right? then start with that. God, I don't know what to say. I need your wisdom right now. Like, and I was reading this prayer book. I, I remember back in the day, I was reading this prayer book and I was like, man, but what if I'm bad at prayer? And then I flipped the page and it's like, and for those of you who think you're bad at prayer, <laughs> pray that God would help you to get better in prayer. Uh, prayer. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, that's an awesome prayer request. If you feel like, man, man, I, I'm so bad at this. I can't do this. Thank you for all these principles, but I've just been really bad at this my entire life. Then, your number one prayer request as we go out into this week is God, help me be better at praying. Right? That's a simple prayer to start praying. When you're overwhelmed with emotions, bring Jesus into the picture. When you don't feel anything at all, bring Jesus into the picture. And it's awesome when God gives you goosebumps. But he's still there even when you don't feel anything at all. Turn to God who can reveal the secrets of your heart and knows you better than you know yourself. When you feel overwhelmed, lean on him who is stronger. And when you, when you read your Bibles, and <laughs> okay, let's be honest, like no lying in church, right? Any, any of you read your Bibles and feel like, man, I'm so far from this? Rejoice always. Did you read that verse with me? It's like the shortest verse in the Bible. If you're looking for a memory verse this week, rejoice always is a great memory verse. <laughs> rejoice always. Anybody read that and be like, it's a lovely idea. You know, that's not really me <laughs> at, the, at this moment. Anybody feel like a bad Christian? <laughs> Use that as your prayer. As you read, stop, say, God, this is not I look over this year, I've not rejoiced always. Would you help me rejoice always in you? Spend time with God. Bring all of your thoughts to him. Pray continually in that way. And when you taste some, 
some awesome food. Bring Jesus into the picture. My wife is awesome at this, but I don't know what, what is better when it comes to eating at our house, the prayer we say before a meal or the praise that comes out of my wife's mouth as he eats a fantastic food. She goes, mm, praise you, Jesus. <laughs> praise you, Jesus for taste buds. <laughs> I love that. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like Jesus loves that more than the prayer we said before. Right? When you get a taste of some awesome food, praise Jesus. Pray continually. So as you take these steps of two ways to pray, a rhythm of prayer and how to never stop praying, bring God into every thought and every moment. But also let me read this passage. Would you stand with me as we read Matthew 6, 7 through 15? And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And when you pray, sorry, this is, yeah, Matt. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Let's be seated. So there's a lot here. So let me go over. And by the way, if you're nervous, like, ooh, you took a long time to get to the verse. How long is this sermon going to be? I'm, uh, we're going to do this in two parts. So we're going we're gonna to start this off. There's a, there's a lot here. So let me go over some of these pretty quickly. Now notice the context of the Lord's Prayer. These verses right here, seven and eight. The effectiveness of your prayer has nothing to do with your vocabulary or grammar, right? And for those of us who don't speak Spanish, Let's praise God for that. As, as Daniel said, that God speaks Spanish most of the time in the beginning of the service as he prayed. <laughs> um, man, like, you are, did you know that? First of all, let's just breathe a sigh of relief. Like, like, did you know you can go into this week and the effectiveness of your prayer life is not dependent on how impressive your words are, right? That's awesome, man. And it's great because that God bears titles in the scriptures like Lord of Lords. Now I've never met a Lord personally, but a Lord of Lords sounds like a pretty impressive guy. It sounds like someone you need to come speaking like King James English to, oh, here is thine, you know, like that type of prayer. But what is he saying? No, no, no. Your effective prayer is not based on your vocabulary or grammar. God is not waiting to see if he will answer you based on how, how impressive your word count is, right? And I, I may be saying that jokingly, but there's a, a real principle here that we all need to understand. First, that he says, when you pray, don't just heap up empty phrases, repeating things mindlessly, thinking that if you just say it long enough, or impressively, you know, or if you put together a, a prayer that's impressively worded, then he will grant you what you need. 
Jesus says, God the Father already knows what you need before you even ask it. I don't know about you, I remember this raising a lot of questions for me. It's like, wait a minute. I knew that God knew everything, but also like prayer, my prayer at least, like when I was, it was more like me sitting on Santa's lap, like trying to tell him my wish list. Like, I want this toy. Uh, I want this bully at school to be gone, you know, like that type of stuff. Like that was what I thought prayer was. Him gathering information about what I needed at that moment. But he knows everything. He's not listening to your prayers or my prayers to increase his knowledge about my situation. He's not like, oh, Kunar's a bully? No one told me about this? No, 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 he knows. He already knows what you need. And if you're trying to impress him with giving him secret knowledge, you're never going to impress him with that. If you're going to try to impress him with your impressive language skills, he's the one who's created the human tongue. <laughs> he's, he's the one who created the minds that created every single language on this earth. He's not impressed by your old words that you dug out of a, out of a drawer somewhere. Now, here's the reason I, I highlight this. If, if prayer is not designed to inform God, since he is already all-knowing, then what is prayer for? It is to be with God. I had it said this week, I was reading a book. It's not a Christian book, but he, he mentioned this. He, he said, God does not need to receive, but humans need to learn how to give. And, and I, I think that's a genuine principle. I, I think, when it comes to the Bible t- telling us to give and be generous, it's not because God is dependent on us to use our money to do something great, but rather because this is something that's a good gift from him saying, no, you need to learn how to give. You need to learn how to remember and know that it's not, you, your God is not the dollar or the kronar, but it is God. <laughs> and so many people, as it said, they, you know, they don't uh, earn a living, they live for the earning, as someone said. And, and I think this is true. Like God doesn't need to receive, but we as humans, we need to learn to give. And I think it's the same principle when it comes to prayer. So if prayer is not because God needs it for gathering information about what he should be doing in our life, but rather because we need it. We need to stop at that moment and be with God. What God gets in prayer is not the information in your head, but your heart. He gets you for a moment with all the distractions gone, just you. And if you truly want to grow in prayer and to pray well, I always thought as I was a younger Christian that growing in prayer meant that I needed to be better at speaking the words. I always thought that the people who could just pray really, really fast and confidently like, man, they are, they got prayer down. But as I was sitting here and I was waiting, my, my daughter comes up to me. I say, hey, Sigurdos, can you pray? <laughs> can you pray for me that, you know, I would do a good job of teaching the Bible? And she's like, God help him teach the Bible. And she's like, amen. <laughs> it's, like, it's not an impressive prayer, but you know something? Jesus pointed to a kid and said, hey, to, to be great in the kingdom, you need to be like this kid. 
And I just love that. Like she's not, she's not trying to impress the king of the universe here. She's not trying to impress the Lord of Lords. Like she talks to God, like she talks to me. She doesn't come to me. My father, can I give me some candieth, you know, like, or whatever, you know, like that's not how you use that. But you know what I'm talking about? She, she's not trying to impress me. <laughs> now, I always thought like, man, if I need to grow in prayer, I need to focus on how I say the things and what words I will use and how fast I can say them. But then you realize when it comes to prayer, it's not about what you say. It's about who you're with. That's how you grow in prayer. Don't think about what you say, but rather think about the audience that you have. Think about the God of the universe taking time to listen you imagine if you had a close friend and imagine if you went into this week saying i'm going to change my relationship i'm going to start hanging out with vlad and i'm going to be really really good and i start hanging out with vlad i'm going to plan my conversation before i go to vlad and when i go to vlad i've already laid out my conversation hello vlad how are you i am good okay how was your week you know like this is not how friendship is formed <laughs> me planning out my conversation with my friend Vlad is not how we grow closer together, right? But that's how I thought about prayer for a long time. It's like, man, if I just say the right things, then I'll be closer to God. Then I'll be better at praying. And I found out like, if I want to get closer to Vlad, I focus on spending time with Vlad and conversation flows out from that. <laughs> I can't pre-plan my conversation with him. And if I want to spend time, if I want to grow closer to God, I spend time with God and conversation flows from spending time with God. If you want to grow in prayer, focus on who you're with. No. Yeah. And so just, man, so we, we must be careful not to turn the Lord's prayer. And, and that's what I, that's what I find so ironic. So this is the context of the Lord's prayer. And you know what we did? We did exactly that to the Lord's prayer. <laughs> he says, oh, take, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. You know what we did? We took the following prayer that Jesus gave us and we just started repeating it mindlessly. <laughs> I had no idea what these words meant when I was little. Like, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's old school Icelandic language in there that made uh, forgiving my debtors sounds like some kind of Bull, uh, like a bull, like an animal. Uh, which is, if you're Icelandic in here, it sounds like a, yeah, a, a, a bull that owes you money, basically. Uh, and you're like, why am I praying for a bull that owes me money? You know, like, uh, anyways, so I had no idea what these words, but I just grew up repeating these mindlessly. And the irony of taking the prayer that Jesus taught us without the context of saying, hey, don't just repeat things mindlessly. And we do this in religion as well. Oh, you want to be forgiven? Pray the Lord's Prayer 10 times, right? Because it's not impressive enough to pray once like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. No, you have to do it 10 times, right? And maybe that bothers us a little bit because did you notice that as we read this prayer, it takes like 30 seconds to read. And he's teaching his disciples to pray it's like one of the very few moments where we have, this is the only moment where Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And that prayer is like 20, 30 seconds. And 
That's not impressive. 20, 30 seconds. Are you kidding me? Like, this is the lesson we get, but we get a lot of there. And as we dive into the Lord's Prayer, I want to break it down into different categories that we see in there to use those as principles, not just to go into our week or into our lives, just repeating the words of Jesus, but rather taking the lessons from the Lord Prayer and applying that to how we pray. And so it's been very helpful to me. I met with a brother this week that said it was very helpful for him as Elliot went over these acronyms with him. The acronym is ACTS. I ripped this off from some Americans because Americans love acronyms. <laughs> it's acts, uh, right? This is an acronym. Is that what it's called? Yeah. What is the other thing called? You know what I'm talking about? No, never mind. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Like when it comes to prayer, there are these four aspects of prayer that we find actually in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So most of us, I, I think, are, are familiar with uh, the form of prayer that is supplication, asking God to supply our need and, and the need of those around us. But what we see in the Lord's Prayer is actually, it starts with adoration or worship, right? As, as he starts to teach, he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So a, a partial reason for prayer is for us to simply worship God. Do you know that? Like maybe, maybe you grew up in a tradition uh, like I did. I, I always had this idea of worship God was like the music portion of the church service. And so that's what I thought worship was. When we were singing, we were worshiping. And then I realized like, no, actually Romans 12 teaches us that all of life is worship. So yeah, well, when we sing it, it we, we worship with our hearts. When we're studying the Bible together like this, we're worshiping with our heads. And when we go into this week and we maybe see someone in need and we give, we're worshiping with our hands. And all of life is worship. And I, I for one, grew up that thinking that worship was very distinct from prayer. But what we see here is Jesus, when he teaches his disciples to pray, he starts by saying, this is worship. Our Father in heaven, by the way, if you're thinking, what is hallowed? <laughs> hallowed, loud, holy. This means holy is your name. <laughs> I don't know why the ESV doesn't want to change that word because it's so like seared into our conscience. And this is actually a partial reason is to remember God for who he is. This is actually for our good. If you're frantically frantically coming out, that, coming to pray because of a looming problem. Or maybe you're coming to pray because you're suffering. Or maybe you're coming to pray because you're facing hardship. If, if you start with worship, you can, you can put your current problems into context with who God is. Right? And I want to highlight this as well, because a lot of us, we do this. When things are not going well, when we feel the brokenness of our world, that's when it's maybe easy to turn to God in prayer because we need him. But also, man, if you're in here and you just came from a week where you're just like, man, everything went awesome. <laughs> like, I am joyful today. And it's not because I came to worship Jesus. Like It's because of something that happened before this week. Then what prayer does is also, it puts our successes into context with God and his greatness. It's like, you think this money is great? 
It's not going to be anything when it comes to eternity. You think the stuff that you have is great. Think about the creator. Right? He starts by telling us when we pray, come in adoration, come in worship. Are you facing problems? Are you facing debt? Not only can he handle your money problems, but he's the very, the, the very one who's king of kings. He has more power than any king, any president, any government or empire. And I don't know if you noticed this when we were thinking about Christmas and we were dwelling on Luke chapter two on the birth narrative of Jesus, but there's a woman in there that's mentioned. Her name is Anna. And she's just this weird widow who's been in the, the, uh, the temple for decades, like praying and fasting as like, I love, like, I don't know this woman. There's only like two verses about her. I would love to met this woman. Like, and, but if you, if you notice about her, where it says in Luke 2, 37, it says, and then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, probably annoying the staff there, right? Worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And notice what it says there. Not that she was just fasting and praying. She was worshiping with fasting and prayer. Have you thought about that? Fasting and prayer is a form, not just of asking God for something, but rather to give God something, to give him praise and adoration. And in fighting for time to pray, we say, God, you are worth me taking time from all the things that you bless me with, from all the entertainment that you've given me simply to be with you. And in praising him and in dwelling on how set apart he is, that is what holy is. He is totally set apart from creation. He is creator. We are created, right? And on dwelling on his greatness, it actually helps us. What is the fruit of dwelling on his greatness? Well, in Philippians, we have Paul. And it's so interesting, this letter, because he talks about joy more than ever in this letter, but, it, but he's in a Roman prison. And again, I jokingly say, it's not Icelandic prison where you get to have like a pool table and a PlayStation in your cell. Like this is, this is a Roman prison. Like they, they knew how to make prisons bad back in the day. But he talks about joy all the time. <laughs> and he gives us into a glimpse into why uh, worshiping God actually gives us, is actually for our good. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. I love that's a command in scripture. Stop it. <laughs> Stop being anxious. <laughs> Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing promise. That's an amazing promise. When you start to praise God in prayer for his greatness and rejoice in the Lord, he gives you peace. That's not based on your current circumstances that are fleeting. It's not based on what the people currently are saying about you or how they're treating you. It's based on him who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your anxiety is put to death because ultimately you see who is with you in that situation. When you make your request and thanksgiving known to God, it doesn't inform God of something that he doesn't already know. It reminds you of something that we're so prone to forget. That is how big and awesome our God is. And the fruit of seeing God more clearly, well, it says here, it's peace. 
And I would love to try to teach this, but he says, there's no point in trying to teach about this piece. It's beyond our understanding. <laughs> you can try to teach it in theory all you want, but if you want to experience this piece, you apparently need to experience this piece, not just to learn about it. It surpasses understanding. Now think about this. The apostle of, of the faith is writing from an extremely uncomfortable jail cell. And yet his main concern is not about his circumstances, but rather the glory of Jesus to be made known. And I think we're so often prone to go straight to supplication, to think of prayer as this is the time when I can have an audience with God and I can tell them what I desperately need. Like if Philippians was written in that way, it would be written as a letter saying, God, please get me out of this jail. But we're so prone to forget that prayer can also be a form of worship and adoration to remind ourselves of the greatness of our God and put our current uh, circumstances in context to eternity. He may be doing something awesome in an uncomfortable situation in our life. We have brothers and sisters here that have had to flee countries. Man, he may be doing something awesome, even in a very difficult circumstance. And you see something strange happen, for instance, in Acts chapter two, you find religious people. They've jailed the apostles because they just killed Jesus. And, and now they have all these different people talking about Jesus who they killed. And now 5,000 people or so have come to faith because of this, the, their boldness to preach. And they were wanting to stop this new movement. Very people who murdered their teacher, their rabbi, Jesus, were now looking at the apostles, threatening them. Now imagine you're in that scenario. You know, these people killed Jesus days before. And now they're saying to you, you stop. You're next. Right? You know that's not an empty thread. You've seen their willingness to go through with threats. And what, what do we see? They're released. They tell them, what do you think? What do, what do you think we should do in our situation? Listen to you or, or wait for it, listen to God. <laughs> what do you think? We're going to listen to God. We're going to teach Jesus. They go out and they have a prayer meeting. And you would think the prayer meeting would be like, God, stop these people from doing evil things. Jesus' name, amen. No, you know what they pray for? They pray this. Do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I just read this prayer and I'm like, wait a minute, there's no mention. <laughs> God, would you make these circumstances a little more livable, like more comfortable? No, give us boldness. Just give us boldness. I'm like, weirdos, man. <laughs> How serious are these people? And again, if you look at the very beginning of their prayer, you realize maybe the very thing, the reason why they're praying this way is because they're way more focused on adoration and worship rather than their own comfort. Because they start out their prayer like this sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your sermon said by the Holy Spirit, 
Then they go on to quote the scriptures and, you know, they're dwelling on scriptures, they're worshiping God and they're saying, God, whatever may come tomorrow or next week, give me boldness to be faithful to you. They're focused on God, not the threats of the people. And they focused on the word of God who had told them that they were there and that people would behave in the way that they're experiencing. And they didn't ask for it to stop, but for God to be glorified in it and give them boldness to speak in it. And this week we've spent some time on this, on, on why and, and how to pray uh, and when to pray. And we've talked a little bit about adoration in prayer, but next week we're gonna dive into confession, gonna go into thanksgiving and supplication um, as we continue to sort of bring about like, okay, what is the fruit of prayer? I think probably the biggest fruit for me is like it puts your current circumstance in context to eternity. But as we go into communion, I, I want to I wanna highlight this. The prayer says, our father. In, in these two words, there are so many reminders. Our father. Number one, our reminds us that through Jesus Christ, he has made a family. Some of you, I know for a fact, have lost family and friends for deciding to follow Jesus. But this reminds us as we pray, we can pray corporately with our new family of faith, tied together by the blood of Jesus. And two, this R reminds you, it's weird to say R, R, like a pirate up here, but our, our <laughs> reminds us that we pray. We don't need a mediator. We do, we, we do not need to address a saint, pope, a priest, or anybody else. He says, he's teaching his followers to pray. And he says, no, 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 you go straight to the father. Our father, you're my father. We can address God himself. And three, father reminds us not only that he is holy, that he is all powerful, Right? Before he gets to how holy he is and how powerful he is, he reminds us that he's ours. And he's not only ours, he's our father. He's our father who loves us. As is revealed most clearly in sending Jesus to die for our sins, to make us whole. We were once enemies of God, now our sons and daughters of God. As someone said, who is it that dares to interrupt a king in the middle of the night? Only a child, <laughs> only a child. And when it comes to prayer, who dares interrupt the king of kings? Only a child, only a son, only a daughter. He's not only holy, he's not just the creator, he's not just a judge, he's not just God, he's not just righteous, he is our loving father. And with the death of Jesus, we are given life by restoring us back to what we were created for, that is communion with our God and creator. He's not only our king who may demand formal wording from us when we approach him or kneeling or all these things, as many religions make God out to be, even Christianity at points giving recipes of prayers to repeat mindlessly. He's not simply a creator far away, willing to listen if you just yell strong enough or long enough. And I remember in my prayer meetings back in the day, kind of praying by yelling like he was kind of deaf. Now he's, he's an eager father willing to listen to his kids. And as we go into communion, I want to remind us of this amazing fact 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, and this is a crazy reality, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's an amazing reality. Help us, if you're in here and you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have said, Jesus, I, you are my Lord and my Savior, then please remember the greatness of Jesus and his blood and his, his body being broken for us, his blood being shed for us. And remember him as we go into this week, spend time with him as we go into this week. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kyrka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.